0: I was tempted to preach in my scarf that my wife crocheted for me. I believe it's the first thing that she gave to me that does not smell or bite. You know, like kids. You know, you know, it, you know, it doesn't do. It doesn't um, hurt me or say mean words to me. They're not even listening. I'm trying to throw jokes at my kids. Acts chapter 1. I'm done joking. Um, Verse number 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, grace, and mercy. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, to us. Lord, speak to us this evening. Let us hear your word. Let us hear your passion. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. Lord. Forgive us of our sins, cleanse our minds and hearts from the things of the world in this hour. Let us hear the beautiful words. Let us hear the wonderful words of life. Holy Spirit, come now. Give liberty this hour. Liberate our ears. Let us hear your words. Liberate our hearts. Give us a single-mindedness, not a double-mindedness, Lord. A single-mindedness on your word. And liberate my lips. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Imagine with me tonight... Um, if you worked with someone or you was outside playing with some of the children, and imagine that someone would constantly say to you how they're going to die. The first time they come to you, they say, I am going to die. You would probably ignore them. I don't know what you're talking about. The second time they look at you and say, I'm going to die. You'll probably get on that side eye. I don't know what to say to you. The third time, they start talking, they start thinking, you know, about their death, and they say to you, just a little bit more emphatically, I'm going to die. You may start thinking, what is up with this kid? What is up with this guy? The fourth time, they say to you, um, I'm going to die. You may start thinking, you may start taking them serious now. You know, look it up um, different lines of communication for them because you need you need to put them on some kind of suicide watch. The fifth time he says, I'm going to die. They, they say, I'm going to die. They start giving details of it, of how they're going to die. You will probably tell him he needs to seek. The sixth time, they sit down with you over lunch, over a candy bar, and they say, this is my last meal. I am going to die. And I want you, every time you eat this meal, remember, I died. You would probably call 911 and say, come, get this man. Put him in a loony bin and never let him get out of your sight because he's out of his mind. Tonight I want to speak to you on the subject of the passion of Christ. His passion. No matter how crazy you may think that person is, you know they were serious about their death. No matter how bizarre they may have been, you know Without a shadow of a doubt, they are very serious about dying. And I tell you, some may say Jesus was crazy. Some may say he was out of his mind. But I tell you tonight, Jesus was more passionate about nothing more, nothing else than his death on the cross for sinners. The Acts 1-3 says these words, after his passion. What was his passion? It was his death on a old, rugged cross. Let's look now. We're going to scale kind of the pages of Scripture tonight. We will not be pinpointing one verse or one chapter, but we will work our way from Matthew 16 to Matthew 28 tonight. And I promise you, well, I'm not going to promise you anything. We could be very long. But I hope with God, what he has given me, it will impact you no matter how short or long it is. Look with me at Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23. First, we find Christ's passion was for the things of God. That's our first point this evening. Christ's passion was for the things of God. Look there in Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23. From that time forth, so this is a pinnacle moment of Jesus' ministry. Everything's turning on this note. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be healed, and be raised again the third day. Verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art a offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things, this is the key point here, not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. God the Father, main goal for his son, his main thing he created, and he created, uh, or he placed his son into this world to do, and the main thing he created for his son was three nails and a wooden beam. That was the main thing he created for his son, three nails and a wooden cross. Imagine a dad, your dad, you growing up with your dad, your dad says, the main thing I have for you, my main goal for you is three nails and a cross. That would not be a a, a mighty good goal set by a father. That would not be a great inheritance or a great gift from a father. That would not be a great purpose for a father, and humanly speaking, but I tell you, there's nothing, there was no major goal in God the Father's mind, from all from, from before creation until the day His son was crucified, then his son had to go and receive three nails and a cross. Christ's crucifixion was a fixed moment in human history. Nothing could change it. Why? Because God prophesied about it through his prophets. Nothing can deter it because God decreed it. And what God decrees, he never goes back on. He decreed his son would come into this world. He sent his son into this world. It was God the Father's passion. Get this first. It was God the Father's passion first to send his son into the world to be delivered unto the cross. John 10, 18 says these words. No man taketh it from me. Talking about Jesus' life here. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This is the key point. This commandment have I received of my father. This wasn't Jesus' idea. It wasn't what he thought up. It was the father's command. It was the father's decree. It was the father's desire that his son would do and die on the cross for sinners. To go against Christ's passion was to go against God the father's command. To say it didn't happen or shouldn't happen is to make God the Father a liar. And that is, in fact, just like the devil. And that's what Peter did in our text here, Matthew 16. Matthew, Peter here committed sin, and in one moment, this sin made him go from a hero to below a zero. Matthew 16, 16, he makes the greatest confession. Any disciple made up to this point. Matthew 16, 16, he says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You can imagine Peter, because they had competition all the time. So his chest is getting out there now. Because he's made the ultimate claim. Everybody else didn't know what to say when he asked, Who do man say that I am? Who do you say that I am? But Peter had the answer. But here, 10 verses later, (laughs) Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. Which made Jesus rebuke him and say, You don't, you're not minding the things of God. To not believe in the crucifixion, to not proclaim the crucifixion, to not um, um, accept the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is to not mind the things of God. So say, that God did not do what he said he did. God, good intentions. You know, Peter had good intentions, but good intentions don't excuse the sin of not valuing the cross. Ignorance doesn't excuse the wickedness of not minding the things of God. He who doesn't savor the cross doesn't savor the things of God. I don't care how much God stuff they talk about. If they do not savor the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, they do not savor the things of God, the main things of God. Um, The only way to understand Christ's passion is to mind the word of God and what the word of God says about what he would come to do. When you are passionate about something, You don't let anyone get in the way of you doing that something. If I'm passionate about doing something, no one's going to keep me from doing it. I've seen football players pretty much go berserk because they get a head injury, they got to get kicked out the game, and they're going off on doctors that's trying to do something for their safety. Why are they going crazy? Why are they so angry? Because they are passionate about what they do. And Jesus here shows how passionate he is about the cross. That he would name, he would tell his main disciple, the one that would lead the early church, the pastor of the early church. He would say to him, you are acting just like the devil. he will let no one get in the way of his passion. Next, Christ's passion will test you. Matthew 17, turn over one chapter. Matthew 17, 22 to 23. The second time Jesus speaks of his passion. And while they abode in Galilee, verse 22, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of man, and they shall kill him. In the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. Daniel, they were sorry. Here it is. The second time Jesus brings up his passion. Here, the context is they just came off of two major highs. They had two major moments, two great moments in their their time with Jesus. They went to the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. They saw Elijah in gold array, I don't know, just shining brightly. They saw Moses, and they saw Jesus just brightly shining. Then they saw the Shekinah glory. It was a glorious moment. It was such a great moment that Peter opens his mouth again, verse 3 and 4 in Matthew, Matthew 17. And he said these words, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter, nobody asked you a question, Peter. But then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses, and one for Elisha. Elias. I love that moment. Not part of my sermon, but I love how God the Father just comes over that mountain in the shadow. And Peter just shuts. I mean, he just be quiet. And God just comes and says, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Don't put Moses on the level of my son. Don't put Elijah next to my son. My son, Jesus Christ, is the word that you need to hear. I, I just love it. not part of my sermon, but God the Father just shut you up, Peter. Peter got shut up twice, two times. God the Father came in, then Jesus shut him up before. So uh, here, but it's a monumental moment. And then coming out the mountain, verse 18 says, Uh, Well, verse 10 to 18, Jesus comes down to the valley and the disciples down there could not cast a demon out of this kid that was having seizures. And this demon was throwing him into the fire, throwing him into the water. It was almost trying to kill him. It was seizing his body. It seized his body right in front of Jesus. And Jesus, verse 18 says, and Jesus rebuked the devil. And he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Here lies the reason why Jesus had to bring up his passion again, why he had to bring up the cross again. You would think after these monumental moments, why dampen the moment? Why dampen the mood? This is why they were seeing sorry. But Jesus wants them to understand, I did not come here to heal people, even though I'm going to heal people on my way to that cross. I did not mainly come into this world to build tabernacles and temples after my name. I came here. It's my passion, my purpose of coming into this world is to die for sinners. So he he brings them low. They were exceeding sorry. And I tell you, child of God, I tell you, uh, Daniel, I tell you, Daniel, the cross will test you. You will have monumental great moments of your life. And then suffering will come right in. And it seems like it just ruins everything. Bad things just come. You go from feeling so good on Sunday about God to Monday morning, something bad takes place. But I tell you, in those moments, Jesus is testing us, reminding us that whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You're going to have moments that are so, you're going to be mountaintop moments that's going to turn into valley moments. But I tell you, child of God, embrace that suffering with joy. Remember the cross in the midst of all the good times you experience. And when those good times are ruined because of bad things, don't think it's something strange, like Peter said. Don't think it's something strange. Let's read it, 1 Peter 4, verse 1 and 2. For as much then as Christ, Peter got this message later in life. He says these words, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that have suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer shall live the rest of, his day, rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of the man. To the lust of man, but to the will of God. Verse 12, he comes down a little further, explains further. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happeneth to you, unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering that when the, his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Child of God, if you desire to live a godly life, you're going to suffer. If you desire to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer. That's why the cross is our logo as Christians, right? This is why it's so prompted so high for the Christianity throughout time, throughout seasons, The cross is the center focus because we're going to suffer now. It's part of life. You're going to face those moments of suffering and don't be sorry. The passion of Christ will test us. Thirdly, next, Christ's passion is in tribulation. Matthew 20. Look, look, turn over maybe two pages if you're still in Matthew. Matthew 20, verse 17 and 19. Here's his third time. Jesus' third time bringing up his cross. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him and the third day he shall rise again. Here Jesus does another public teaching in Matthew 20, and then he pours his disciples to the side once again and tells them about his passion. This time, Sydney, he gives a little bit more intimate details. Remember how I said that, that person gives you more intimate details of how they're going to die? Here he's, he's laying out the scope of the whole situation, how it's going to take place. He lets them know the religious... The religious who keep chasing me, who wants to kill me, they—they're going to finally get their way. They're going to condemn me to death. The bad leaders will finally get their day over me. The Gentiles—they will get their hands on me, and they will mock me, and then they will torture me, and finally they will crucify me. He lets them know they will crucify me. They will scourge me and crucify me. This tribulation went over their heads. It went over their heads. We know this, right? It just, it just went right over their heads. They all ran. They denied him. But I tell you, every detail is spot on. Every step he's laying out before them. You know, any man can tell you how they hope to die. Jesus told them how he will die. Mind-blowing. And he's so passionate about his death, he still went through with it. Like, he still did it. But if I knew, if I get in the car, and I'm, I'm going to get in a car accident, and I'm going to burn to death, I'm not getting in the car. I'm skipping that ride. But he knew it. Every detail. Yeah, he still did it. Some that. This is why we hold up people like olympians and so highly because they know they're going to suffer hours of training days of training they're going to do all these things to get their muscles right they got to eat this way eat that way and we look at them like man god bless you i like my bacon god bless you i like my steak Uh, they know they're going to go through this but they do it anyway why because they're passionate about that running that race doing that gymnastics whatever is swimming they're passionate Jesus is passionate about his death. He he knows what he's going to go through, yet he still does it. This is why the Christianity in America is so fake at times. Because if you knew coming to church tonight would cost you your job tomorrow, would you still come? If you knew being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit you will be denied by your family and rejected and cut off forever, would you still do it? Uh, will not we? That's why our Christianity is just so, it's hard to just break it because we're just so privileged. But it's so fake to what reality is for the Christian throughout history. American time is a blip on the map. History is Christians are rejected Anabaptists are burnt at the stake. Christians are burnt for teaching their Bibles, teaching their kids how to read in English. That's history of Christianity. And they knew it, yet they went through with it. Jesus is passionate. Many people can say they're passionate, but if they knew what they had to face, would they still do it? And James and John is, is like that in this context. In our context, James and John shows this. Because they they're ignorant to what the reality is. But in Matthew 20, 21, 22, they sent their aunt or their mother, uh, I guess it's Jesus' aunt, and he said unto her in 21, What will thou, she saith unto him, grant that these my two sons, she talks now, she saith unto him, Grant that these, my two sons, may sit, the one on the, thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, ye know not what ye ask. You don't know what you're talking about. Are you able, are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, we are able. They wanted the glory, not the suffering. And they did not know what was in that cup because in that cup was the wrath of God. In that cup was suffering. And they both really realized that when one of them was stabbed through the heart by Herod, or his head was cut off, James, he really realized what he asked for in that moment. And John, the other one, really realized what he asked for when he was on the Isle of Patmos all by himself with his hands burnt by oil and isolated from all of society. Oh, they really got what they asked for. I tell you, Jesus' passion is in tribulation. Jesus' passion is in suffering. Suffering comes before the glory. Even Jesus in Matthew 26 and 39, he was asking, let this cup pass from me in the garden of Gethsemane, and he went a little further, the Bible says, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. The wrath of God was in that cup that Jesus prayed to his father in the garden to take from him. Jesus' feelings is oppressing him. The devil is oppressing him. The disciples are sleeping. They can care less. Nevertheless, that would not keep Jesus from fulfilling his passion. Jesus was passionate in drinking God's wrath for his sheep. Next, Christ's passion is in is for the atonement. Let me hasten. Christ's passion is for the atonement. Look at Matthew 20, same chapter. Look verse verse 28. This is the fourth time he speaks of his passion. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Here he brings up the cross once again. Christ's ultimate passion, his ultimate passion in service to the lost was not healing their diseases, was not healing, giving sight to the blind. His ultimate passion of service to the lost was to die on the cross for the wicked, to die on the cross for sinners. Daniel preached John one twenty nine. Uh, Pastor Daniel preached it just a couple weeks ago. The next day, John seeth of Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He gave his life as a ransom for many. A ransom? What is that? A payment, Saraya? A payment? Not with money, but with blood, to redeem. The sinner from sin, from condemnation, and from slavery. While I was passionate about my sin, Jesus was passionate about taking away my sin. What a Savior. What a loving Savior. Galatians 4, 4, 5 says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Christ's passion for his people was to free them, is to free them from their sin. Galatians 1, 3, and 4, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. I love how Peter puts it, 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, who his his own self, bear our sins in his body. He just said in his body on the tree that we being dead to sins shall live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Praise God, we are healed tonight because Jesus was passionate about dying for us. Something he wanted to do above all other things was to free sinners from sin. Then that's his fifth time, bringing up his death. Christ's passion is the end of all God's teachings. Matthew 26, verse 1 and 2, we see this. Matthew 26, verse 1 and 2. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. He said unto his disciples, Ye know. That after two days, it's the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So in Matthew 25, Jesus has a, his last, longest dialogue with a crowd. And after chapters of teaching against the re- religious, Matthew 23, woe unto you, Pharisees, teaching on the end times, teaching on his coming, teaching on being ready for his coming, the, the, the virgins on being a good steward and the great day of judgment. After all that great teaching, he comes back to his passion. You know what a person is passionate about by what they talk about the most or what they understand the most. I worked with a man on my old job. He could talk your head off about ammonia. Pastor Hope knows him very well. He's a contractor, he just knows every little stuff he never asked for. Like I I didn't ask to know that, but okay. Uh, I, I know preachers, I know one preacher who can tell me everything about politics. Say it's dad. He could tell me every in and out. This is you could tell in the pulpit, it's his passion. I, I know my grandmother. She could tell me everything about her stories. Well, you young people, you don't know what stories are, but they are the soap poppers that your mama, your grandma, when you were sick, when your mama dropped you off with your grandma, you had to sit there and watch the Wheel of Fortune, not Wheel of Fortune, the price is right. And then you had to turn around and watch story after story after story after story. And you just was like, she's passionate about this. Uh, my, my, my uncles could tell me everything about the Bengals. They made me so passionate. I could, I mean, back in the 90s, I could tell you the third string quarterback. It was that passion, so it became my passion. It was we had passion. We knew everything about it. We understood the nuances. Uh, I, I know a Christian who can tell me all kind of interesting things about blood moons. I'm not speaking ill about this at all, but I'm just saying he can tell me everything about all these different things. Of did you see this take place over here? And these heifers came into Israel. This is a sign, and this is a sign. They can tell me all that. I'm, okay, no, but okay, you know, just passion. But I tell you, Christian. This is where revival really takes place. When our passion becomes what his main passion is. And his main passion is the cross of Calvary. There was nothing more passionate. It was nothing, nothing. All other doctrines were second to the cross. Same with Paul. Paul followed right in his steps. For I determined not to know anything among you. But that Jesus saved Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Everything second, third, fourth. Yeah, I'll teach you about these things. I'll teach you about the resurrection. I'll teach you about um, the end times. I know Paul talked much on these great, wonderful rapture, all these things. But that second, you need to know Christ crucified. Uh, he says in Matthew. If Further, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Without the crucifixion of Christ, no other doctrine matters. Resurrection don't matter without the crucifixion. His perfect life don't matter. His incarnation, it doesn't, it's cross. That's why the angel tells Mary or Joseph, name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It was number one. Will you and I be remembered as people who is passionate about Christ's death, like the woman in chapter 26? She's remembered. Right in the midst of all this talk about the crucifixion, Matthew 26, 10 to 13, you can read it with me. Jesus the disciples was mad at this woman for not giving this oil to the poor. And Jesus when he saw this, when he understood this, he rebukes his disciples. He says when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, "Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work unto me, upon me; for ye have the poor always with you." But me ye have not always. For in that she have poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that the woman have done be told for a memorial of her. She is remembered. Why? For her passion for his death. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't remember the whole story of this woman, but she believed Jesus was going to die. While the disciples were very sorry when he talked about death, while the disciples denied the death, she believed he's going to die. She saw Jesus' death as important, more important than the poor. You know, this is why we don't do ministries just to, dig wells for the poor. We don't just do ministries just to give food to the poor, to clothe the poor. Those are great things, but without the crucifixion of Christ being preached, it matters nothing in eternity. It's the cross. That is the passion of the Christian. That's the passion of Christ. And I'll end here. Lastly, Christ's passion is to be remembered. Jesus left us two ordinances to remember his passion. Matthew 26, read there, Jesus talking about his crucifixion. Matthew 26, verse 26 to 28. And as they were eating, this is his last meal, Soraya. This is his last meal. You know, when somebody's on death row, what do you want last? The last meal before his death. Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We ought to remember, first and foremost, as the church, how our sins have been paid for as long as we live. As long as we exist, do this in remembrance of me. The sins of the people of God always start at the moment we forget God's word. Jesus' passion wasn't what elements, it wasn't what the elements made of. We're not eating his flesh. We're not eating his, drinking his literal blood. We're drinking his passion. We're eating his passion. We're remembering how passionate he was to take away our sins. And then the second way we are called to partake in Jesus' passion is through the Great Commission. Go ye therefore, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What is baptism? Baptism. What's the? What is it a picture of? The death of Christ. The first thing we're telling a new believer is that you are now entering into the passion of Christ. That's the first thing we're telling them when we baptize them. You are now entering into His passion. Your passions are dead. His passion is everything now. We fully immerse born again believers into the water, telling them that now their old life is dead, their old passions are now to be fully immersed in the passion of Christ. Romans 6, 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You know, in the midst of all these times that Jesus told them his passion about dying, he also told them about his passion of rising from the grave. They just missed it. They they missed that part of the message. Like they missed both. But if they just listen to the end, it's going to all work out. How many times did he say, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, but. After three days, I'm going to rise again from the grave. Praise God tonight. That though we're going to suffer in this world, Jesus is coming back. Glory is coming on the horizon. We're going to meet him in the air. Though we suffer in this life, though we cannot do all the things we used to do and and, and be all about ourselves and we got to deny our flesh, and that's suffering. Denying yourself is suffering. To say no to this flesh. I know we're not getting guns aimed at us tonight. And I know knives are not being threatened to our necks in this evening, But to deny yourself, to say no to your passion, and yes to his passion, is suffering. And it's not bad. It's not, I'm not saying like, woe is us because we got to deny ourselves, but it's not easy. It's not easy to just give up your passion or to give up what you want to talk about because you got to bring up this man who died on the cross for a sinner. I just want to shoot the breeze and talk about vote no on on election night. I just want to shoot the breeze and talk about the Bengals game tomorrow. I just want to live life. But when you think about what he died, when you think about what he paid on the cross for your sins, it's not that much suffering to just say to someone, can I tell you about my true passion? I know the Bengals won last night. I'm happy. I'm talking for future now, like a prophet. But I know there was a good game last night. I know everything's going well. I know times are bad. But can I tell you about my Lord and Savior? Can I just tell you? Can you just give me one moment to tell you what I'm really passionate about? And I'll leave you alone. We don't have to be crazies, we're not a cult. We just want to tell somebody about somebody who saved this nobody. Church, if we are not passionate about the crucifixion of Christ, we will, we will die. We will grow, we will rust out. We will become irrelevant. That's why the church is so irrelevant today. Because we have lost the passion of Christ. His passion is his crucifixion. He just kept talking about it. In the good times, in the bad times. In the challenging times, in the rainbows and wonderful times. And I tell you, church, through the ebbs of flow of life, let us keep talking about Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus Christ risen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your passion. It's the things of God. This is your passion. And God the Father, you... Put together this plan, you sent your son, and your son perfectly obeyed your passion and surrendered himself and gave himself over to living out what you wanted. And holy son, holy son, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. For being so passionate about sinners who were so passionate about sin, the very thing that killed you, so passionate about hating you or not knowing you, or so passionate about religion. So passionate about this or that. We, we was lost on our way to a devil's hell. We were passionate about that life of sin. But you died in our place. You were more passionate about saving us. Thank you, Lord, for your all-consuming passion for my son, I give you praise tonight, Lord. Forgive me for when I'm not passionate about you and I'm more passionate about lesser things help us Lord renew the fire in us or spark a, a spark of fire in us to be passionate about the cross in Jesus' name I pray